Theorizing that podcast audiences wanted to listen to two grown men talk about time travel, Nate Bowden and Brian Martin started a show dedicated to Quantum Leap. Together, they explore NBC's revival of the franchise, starring Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett, and its connections to the original series. They also examine spin-offs, such as novels and comics, as well as some mirror images in the form of television shows and movies that share creative DNA with the adventures of Sam Beckett and Ben Song. And so Nate and Brian find themselves leaping from topic to topic, striving to make sense of it all, and hoping each time that their next episode will be the one that goes viral. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and striving to put right what's wrong with this podcast, it's (laughs) Brian Martin. Hello, everyone. Hello, Brian. I'm going to do my best when editing to take out the sounds of this lollipop I'm about to eat. I'll be all slurping on it. I'm going to stay away from the microphone when I can. Well, somebody uh, went trick-or-treating. A little Halloween candy has (laughs) stolen from a nine-year-old. Now, I informed my son when we were out trick-or-treating the other night that if I was tasked with holding (laughs) his candy bucket, I charged 50 percent of Whoa. everything he gets i take 50 percent of it 50 percent hell yeah what are you getting <laughs> <laughs> to be honest i really only get this lollipop and that's because he doesn't like tootsie pops oh oh so you just get the stuff he doesn't I get the like. stuff he doesn't like yeah no, he tried to pawn that stuff on me he said here the twizzlers are for you dad i was like i don't eat that shit nobody wants twizzlers he said what does it taste like i said a candle <laughs> Who's the family that's giving out Twizzlers? I don't know. That's the family that's like, I hate you all. (laughs) Or the house down the block that baked the cookies that you're like, all right, thanks. That'll go in the trash later. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, a good holiday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Last year we talked about you were in the Paw Patrol. It was Paw Patrol last year. This year it was Pokemon. So, uh, oh, Okay. I uh, dressed up as Ash Ketchum, and my wife was Misty, and my son was Squirtle. Squirtle. Yeah. It's one of the first Halloweens where he hasn't second-guessed his costume mid-trick-or-treating, too. Oh. Yeah, Waylon changed his right at the last minute. Yeah. We went from being a cicada. A cicada. <laughs> yeah, just, an yeah. In, just being an insect. What is your, your kid's like in fourth grade or, or, or around about there, right? No, uh, third grade. Third grade. Okay, okay. So, yeah, that's the kind of costume like a third, fourth grader comes up with. Like, yeah, yeah. I learned about this wicked sweet thing in science class, and now I want to be a cicada <laughs> for Halloween. But what we ended up with was over the garden wall. Okay. Family right. costumes. I got to be Wirt. Are you familiar with this cartoon? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good cartoon, too. I recommend to anybody that's out there listening that likes weirdo stuff I and mean, if you're listening to us right. obviously it's a really kind of strange cartoon but yeah really creative really creative stuff and uh waylon ended up being the beast oh if you check it out he's got weird antlers and the lantern that carries souls and <laughs> pretty cool stuff ended Kids, up being pretty boy. cool stuff yeah what are you gonna do well i guess we're gonna talk about quantum leap 
Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of kids, right? I mean, this is another family-based episode. uh, Oh, that's a a much better segue. What did you have in mind? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Mine seemed awfully rough. Really, really rough. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Very family-centric this week. Yes. (laughs) It's almost like you've been doing this for about 40 episodes. It's it's almost <laughs> like I'm planning on having to make some sort of hard right turn into the actual topic. Yeah, well, <laughs> you did it a little better than I did. But yeah, you said last week we would get a serious episode. Boy, did we. And I said, <laughs> no, it'll be the witches. One of us was right. <laughs> it was not the witch episode. No, it wasn't. This is one of the more serious episodes we've gotten of this whole show, honestly. Yeah. Not a lot of fun. I mean, <laughs> it's there's fun, but it's a lot of very weighty subject matter, both in The Leap and in 2026 as well. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. What was the name of this episode? The name of this episode is One Night in Koreatown. It's written by... Ben Robb and Derek A. Hughes, and directed by Tamika Miller. Ben Robb, I know that name. Who's that? Benjamin Robb. Now, he's written episodes of the show before. I thought you would know. <laughs> all that stuff I talked about a week ago, you mean? Yeah, yeah, know. exactly. I thought, you, I thought you had like a it's list, all, a corkboard behind you. Didn't we talk about my, this? Uh, <laughs> that left my brain, which was the other one he wrote. Ben Robb and Derek A. Hughes have written... Uh, oh, yeah. I do know see. those names. Let me refer to my cork board. Derek A. Hughes and Benjamin Robb did Salvation or Bust and Paging Dr. Song. Well, I think this is the best of the three episodes. I'm really glad that you brought this up, though, because I think there are definitely parallels to draw. Yeah, yeah. And who accepted the nudge this week? It's April 29th, 1992. Ben has leaped into Daniel Park, a young Korean man whose father, Jin, runs a shoe store in Los Angeles. This is not just any random day in Los Angeles, though. This is the day of the Rodney King verdict, where the four cops were acquitted. Does not take long for the city of L.A. to light up like a Roman candle. Riots abound. And Ben is there to prevent Daniel's father, Jin, from dying, but... (laughs) the person who dies kind of migrates from character to character throughout this episode. And he's kind of there to save three different people at various intervals in this episode. True enough. Yeah. And not including himself, which is also, I'm sure a top priority. Meanwhile, in 2026 magic is fighting a battle of his own in a very special B plot line Uh, of quantum leap. Yeah. And if I know this show, do you? I feel like I do. Uh, they're going to handle it in a way that is not at all heavy-handed and cliche. But we will get there when we get there. Uh, first thing I want to talk about, though, okay, is that, Nate, I know you love putting sound effects into this show. What's the sound when we're right about something? When we make a prediction and we hit it right on the head? I think I've used it before. It sounds a little something like this. <laughs> what are we talking well, about? I would say a lingering plot thread of ours that we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks comes together. A couple plot points. One, who did Magic call on the phone? And two, who was he buying that jewelry for? Right, right. We find out the answer to both questions in the opening moments of this episode, and it's exactly who we thought it was. Well, yeah, two things about that. One, to the show's credit, 
I'm glad they didn't make it like this huge reveal. Like you didn't see that one coming. No, like they I did feel not. like they knew that we knew. Yes, it feels kind of organic, and I think the reason being. We don't know anything about magic except this relationship. This is literally the only thing we know about this man is that he knows who Beth is. Like, yeah. that's it. That's <laughs> you true. Know? Like, that's true. Outside of that, we don't know. He's like a military guy, and he knew Al and Beth. It was the most obvious avenue to take in terms of giving him a significant other mm-hmm. that we never heard about previously. But I don't mean obvious in a bad way, right? No, like, it's, it's not. It's, it's not like bad. you said, it seems like a pretty organic decision to make. It keeps Susan Deal on the show. Yeah. I'm totally cool with that. For sure. And it also gives us a chance to talk about Al and what happened to him following the closure of Quantum Leap early on. Yeah. Right? One of those things that I feel like the show probably thought they were glossing over that a lot of people kind of hooked on to, if I read the internet properly. Yes. Most of the chatter, I think, coming out of this episode has centered on any nugget of who Al was Mm -hmm. after Sam was lost. Right, exactly. Do we want to start there? I have another thing I really want to mention when we're starting out here. Mm -hmm. We talk about needle drops throughout the series. They always pick just the right moment to throw in a really good song. They got a track record for this, I think. This episode opens with maybe my favorite needle drop. And that is Poison by Bell Biv DeVoe. Then leaps in to this boy working in a shoe store. And the first thing we hear is, I'm like, okay, we know the year. We know Bell Biv DeVoe. Let's go with this. Boy, that's a song gets me pumped. Okay. what? I have DJed a few weddings. And that is a song. You're a wedding DJ? (laughs) I have in the past for friends. Let's make it clear. I don't want to get emails in our inbox asking me to do this. We're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's ohboyqlpod (laughs) at gmail.com in the greater Charlotte area. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But I always work this. I always work this song into a wedding playlist. Always. And I always preface it the same way. Uh, this next one is the finest song ever written. Finest song ever written. Okay. Well, yeah. Never trust the big butt and a smile. <laughs> and that's going to forever now be a song that I associate with Beth because of this episode. Oh, perfect. Well, I will say opening up, I'm not sure whether it's just kind of stereotypical and derivative or whether it's just kind of natural, but I kind of immediately understand the environment. In this episode, yes. when he leaps in, it's like, okay, I already know this. It's the Asian family running the small store in a big city and that family unit and how they tend to expect to pass opportunities down to the children. Yes. And the children having more rebellious ideas about opportunities in the United States and stuff. At the time, I was thinking, oh, they've done such a great job of building out an environment but as I thought about it, it's just it's like it's something you've seen so many times that mm-hmm. it's really easy to just spell out with some imagery. And I can't decide whether that's a really good thing or kind of a, well, weak thing. You well, know? I think it works for this episode because it saves them the time of having to set all that up. <laughs> we know the moment that Ben leaps in that the father is a first generation immigrant. 
Because you're right. We've seen this story right. before. He's the guy from Dexter. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. The I guy did not notice Vince that. Vince Masuka oh is the medical mm-hmm. examiner on Dexter. That's like, that's right. Well, he plays the role well because he's also a sick fuck in this episode. Yeah. No, well, it's different. He's he's just kind of an asshole, but he's well, like a first generation Korean immigrant style asshole where he's like, you get out of my store. Yeah. And the thing that like, I don't know how to tackle this necessarily, but he was doing the accent of broken English. I know him as Vince Masuka, so I know he doesn't sound like that naturally. <laughs> and I'm like, is this racist? Is this racist? <laughs> I can't decide. Here's your episode title. I. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, no, he did really well. I mean, it was a far cry from Vince Masuka on Dexter. Uh, nevertheless, recognized him right away. That's probably why I didn't recognize him, honestly. The accent is non-existent on Dexter and it's just a wildly different character but it is I don't want to say it's stereotypical it's just it is kind of I guess I think it is (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why you don't want to say it but I don't know enough about the experiences of first generation immigrants in Los Angeles running a shoe store to be able to say that real life isn't like this okay so (laughs) stereotypical I guess a better word might have been derivative of other things that we've seen in media. Yeah. Certainly, but, but again, I, I don't know any Korean families running shoe stores. Uh, <laughs> so don't let me mislead you, America. But it's definitely things that I've seen in other media. But I do think it works to this episode's benefit. And the one sort of underlying mystery plot element within The Leap involves Daniel's brother, Sonny, and a young black fellow named Dwayne. Dwayne, yeah. They have some sort of under-the-table hush-hush relationship going on. Jin doesn't want Dwayne in the store, always chases him out of the store, thinks he's a hoodlum up to no good. Mm-hmm. But what they're really just trying to do is start a shoe company of their own. Right. This is Sonny's American dream to collaborate with Dwayne and start this shoe company. Right, and that's but... something I felt, I kind of like this, because it's, it's a character who's not wanting to turn his back on his father's dream. He's just taking that dream and running with it in a different direction. Right, exactly. It's not like he's doing it in a completely different direction, where it's, I want to open a restaurant, or right. you know, something like that. <laughs> like somebody say, Daniel, who is like, I'm going to run off and join the Marines. Yeah. <laughs> Which is his thing that Ben comes to understand that is the direction Daniel's going in with his life. So both boys are on the verge of disappointing their father, (laughs) is really the point. That's one relationship that needs to be held together over the course of this night where the streets burn. Mm -hmm. In in addition to actually saving the lives of everyone involved. Outside of that story, meanwhile in 2026, my first note here is how about punk rock Ian this week, huh? Oh, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's a good look. That, that was a look for sure. I'm glad Ian is back. And not only is Ian back, but they are owning it and just on fire. But it also goes to one of the things I've said about Ian from the get-go. Put Ian back in the imaging chamber. <laughs> you know? Ian always stands out everywhere they go. Right, absolutely. We don't normally talk before we sit down to record because I know... 
we don't want to get into it. We don't want to lose good material on a conversation we're having over Facebook Messenger, right? Since and it's so scarce to come by anyway. That's true, obviously. The good, the Neither good. one of us know what to talk about. But this week, I did message you after I watched the episode because there was a single moment in this episode that when it happened, I was like, Nate is going to hate this moment. This may be Nate's least favorite moment of the entire series so far. If you hadn't texted me about it, <laughs> uh, because I had not seen the episode yet, it made me watch the episode anticipating something. Oh, was that it? Was that <laughs> it? Was that it? So now I have all my guessing. But... The one that I narrowed it down to, okay, which right. ultimately really did bother me the most, is cyber hacker Jen not knowing what she's done to the computer <laughs> when it started going haywire. That's actually... If that's not it, that was the top for me. She's like, please tell me I didn't break Ziggy. That's really funny, though. That is a top you, one. You went to jail... For being a hacker, I think you kind of know computers inwards and outwards, but she was like my mom. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I was, <laughs> got to be kidding me. I did make a note of that. And then the greater question about that scene, and I'm sorry if I've steered it away from what you were no, going right to talk ahead, about. Go right ahead, go right ahead. We're going we're gonna to talk about But this is what again. ultimately really did kind of bother me is, one, she's totally flummoxed by a computer and the way that it's acting. Now, one could say, well, of course, but it's Ziggy. And Ziggy is, you know, far beyond any computer hackers, blah, blah, blah. But she's worked there specifically with this computer for years. Secondarily, all that had really happened was that Ben changed the future. And by the time Ian got up there, basically the screens just went back to normal. They had been static and snow and it all just writes itself. And they say, well, Ben has changed the future. Does that mean that Ziggy, like, flips out every time something <laughs> changes? Just absolutely like, that's, goes haywire for, That's like, how they minutes. know that Ben has changed the future, because Ziggy can't handle it and freaks everybody out. Well, the fact that Jen's never seen that happen before could be a good indicator that she really doesn't do very much around the office. <laughs> <laughs> why would it work that way, and why the hell can't she handle that situation? I have no idea why that scene happened. Yeah. Did we need, like, ten seconds to pad out the runtime on this episode? Yeah, we needed a reason for Ian to change scenes, essentially. Yeah, right. It's like, we need a reason to get Ian out of this room and into that room. Ian was in the gym at that point, right? I believe so, yeah. We see the, the Quantum Leap workout room, which is a pretty nice facility for a moment. And they couldn't just leave the gym. They had to be called in a... <laughs> Uh, hurry. <laughs> Ian, Hur you're needed on the floor. Jen did it again. <laughs> but now that you're saying that that's not what it was, what else did I hate about this episode? So this is the moment I thought you were going to pinpoint. It was very brief, but it was an encapsulation of your least favorite thing. Okay. And what I typed was, no one at all, Jen. Is it just me or is everyone still reeling from the whole thing? Oh ben my God, I've got that up? written down. I do. I have that shit written down. And then it immediately was... Ian's like, oh my God, thank you. And I'm oh like, my no, God. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, you're right. I fucking hated that. But I was looking for a, a larger moment because it's cut off really quick. It is. Magic comes in and says, knock that shit off. Is what he... Magic shuts that shit down. Good man. 
I clap. It got caught up a little bit in what I boiled down to as just a lot of really bad dialogue in this episode. Yeah. Yes. Like a lot because it literally just had followed the brothers having a conversation in the alley, I think. We talked about this during family style also where it's like you have to have dialogue that informs the audience but they would never speak that way because the two characters already know the topic, right? Right. Yes. When are you going to tell dad that you have joined the Marines? And yeah. then, of course, that is followed up with, is anybody else reeling by this? Like, Yeah, you're right. It's Jen, horrendous. Stop. Jen, just shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have been, I think out of the two of us, as pro-Jen as we ever get. But that moment, I was like, this I feel as Nate feels. <laughs> like, like, I was like, oh, gosh, don't do this to her. Don't make her say this. Ian, stop feeding her. Oh, my God. What are you two doing? And then Magic comes down and is like, what the hell are you two doing? You know? Yeah, right. Um, I, yeah. I really did appreciate that. It's just constant dialogue, the way people don't talk. The dialogue is one of the biggest things in this episode that I isolated for us to talk about, honestly. I think overall, the plot, especially of The Leap, works quite well. Mm. I think the intention is good behind everything in this episode. I think that the resolution of The Leap works relatively well. I think everything that's going on with magic in 2026 only works well to a point. Okay. And I think it stops working well once they really start addressing it. Yeah, so, okay. In the same scene, I think, where we find out that Magic and Beth are an item, Beth says, after what you went through last year, is this wise in terms of Magic going to the project and serving as the hologram this week? Right. And we're just left wondering, what did he go through last year? Well, outside of, yeah, we know we lost Ben. and But specifically the last year. Ben was like three years prior, right? So... What was last year? What happened last year? And I thought this might be something that we drag out. Uh, it is not. It is what this whole episode is about for Magic. And that is... Uh, he hit the bottle very, very hard after they failed to get Ben back and the project closed. Right. He was an alcoholic for a time. <laughs> so... <I> think, uh, <laughs> for a... <laughs> For a time. I think yeah. He's an alcoholic. Yeah. He is an alcoholic. He's a recovering alcoholic mm -hmm. who is still very much tempted, especially via the content of The Leap this week, where he is there during the L.A. riots and this huge flare-up of racial tensions, which gives him a chance to reveal something about his own past. Right. Uh, which is, I think, again, pretty effective. I like that that's a character beat in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. The problem is the dialogue in that scene, in most of the scenes in this episode, every piece of cliched dialogue you've ever heard to describe police brutality, alcoholism, recovery, racism as a whole, racism, they're yeah. all here. It's like every single line related to these big, heady issues. They're Weird. not just lines you've heard before. It's like the most typical metaphors used to describe all of them. You're speaking, I guess, most specifically about his story about Detroit when he was back from deployment for a while. And yes. uh, 
in that scene, the director has chosen to zoom in really, really close on he and Jen. Jen is there. Like for emphasis, it's almost distractingly close and kind of shaky cam a little bit to Uh really give some (laughs) emphasis to now pay attention because this is important, heady stuff. Yes, the dialogue is not great. Now that I know that this is the same writer as Paging Dr. Song, areas like this, I can draw a lot of parallels to. All of the themes that they are really trying to emphasize, I think, are diminished by the sheer amount of things that they try to cover. Yes, it felt like an episode of Glee to me. Because <laughs> this was a problem Glee I'll had. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> Trust me, that Glee had this problem almost every single week. And there was an episode in particular that dealt with teen suicide, where a character on the show made a suicide attempt because he was in the closet and didn't know how to deal with it. And it's a very emotional episode. It's a fairly effective episode. And then we go from this person needs help to literally the next scene, another character is driving in the car, texting, and gets hit by a car. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, Just yeah. like, can we deal with one teen problem at a time? I don't think it's an epidemic of television, <laughs> but it yeah. is. This episode is definitely trying to deal with two very heavy issues at the same time. Seems like more than two, though, when you really start to boil it down, because one of the efforts they made that I think is really effective is taking this whole Rodney King verdict situation and the horrors that came out of that in L.A. and boiling it down to a single scenario and a specific family that's affected by it. This is something that Quantum Leap has historically done very well. You take a setting of a situation and you tell this person's story in that. One of the best episodes from season one did this, the earthquake episode. Mm -hmm. This is sort of what I was talking about. I need it like a historical linchpin. I don't need it to be a cameo, right? I just need it to be something that is a significant moment in history that we're seeing from a very, quote-unquote, unique perspective, right? We can say whatever we want to do about the derivativeness of the characters and the situation, but seeing those characters navigate this riot situation... And Magic trying to find out, okay, well, now instead of this character getting killed, now that character gets killed or this character gets killed. That's what makes this episode interesting. The changing scenarios are definitely something to juggle, and that definitely makes the episode interesting. I think what it suffers from is its attempt to narrow it down to this one family's story. It's almost like they weren't trusting themselves to stick with that track. Because when you think about it, you've got the Park family dealing with their thing. Then they've got Miss Rojas, who's there. Louisa, who is a nurse who needed to pay for a pair of shoes after work. (laughs) Right. And she's a single mom and she has to get somebody over to take care of her kids. So she gets wrapped up in this, too. And that character is there for a reason or at least needs to be. Yeah, that's true. She also didn't really need to be there for this to work. Like, you didn't need really any of that. There's all kinds of ways that you could have gotten to the same points without that character, the time that she takes away from your main core story. And then you've also got Dwayne. You've got his 
perspective and his situation being pegged as a thug based solely on the color of his skin. Yep. And obviously very tough situation. And then you've got <laughs> Magic's story and the Beth thing pulled in so many different directions that you've lost the effectiveness of what you were trying to tell. They needed to isolate this on the Park family in that environment. And how did this situation affect this family? And that's your story. And let right. the story then give you a broader perspective of the event. And you can see it's there. And then it gets lost. They it's know there, it. there, and then it gets lost. They know that's the main thing, because that's the whole climax of the leap. Involves <laughs> them jacking uh, an ambulance, and Mr. Park kind of having this moment of realization about Dwayne. That's the climax of the episode. Right, but um, it's also a moment that takes you right out of the episode, because there's no way... <laughs> That that situation resolves the way that it did in the story. <laughs> like, it's so television. It definitely is. It's very similar to paging Dr. Song in the respect of why are you trying to tackle all of these things? Why are we dealing with all of these different threads all at once? I think the one thing this has on paging Dr. Song, though, is that we do know all these characters... <laughs> I think True. Paging Dr. Song would introduce a character for one scene and we didn't know who they were. And that one of the main characters in the episode is in a coma the entire time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a lot more Rube Goldbergy. This is more like whack-a-mole where it's like, okay, I fixed <laughs> yeah, this. That's good. Like I fixed this, but now this is a problem. And now we fix this, but now this is a problem. Right. Except that those problems aren't connected. It's not like, right. Because right. I fixed this. Now this is happening. It's, I fixed this, what else is going to happen? The sequence of events in this episode is sort of like Ben and Teller a few weeks ago. <laughs> when Ben gets wise that the riots are about to start, he immediately turns to Jin and says, we got to get out of here right now. Let's get in the car. We can go up the street. We can go this way, go that way. Just like he tried to do with the robbers in that bank robbery episode. But it is very quickly too late for them to execute that plan. The riots mm -hmm. start, the neighborhood is flooded, and now they're stuck in the store. Mrs. Rojas, Luisa, has come back for her shoes, and she's kind of stuck there in the store. Mm -hmm. Ben is initially tasked with saving Jin, who initially died when the store was broken into. Ben tries to get Luisa to her car, only to find that the car is destroyed. <laughs> and Yep, your burning car in the riot. <laughs> it was there. <laughs> Want to show there was a riot? Set a car on fire. Burning car. That's all you really need. And that's all they really had. That's true. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's something we're going to have to address at some point, but please so, move. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of a bottle episode, isn't it? <laughs> so then they go back to the store, and Dwayne tries to break in. But Jin's like, don't let him in. We're not letting that hooligan in here. And Sonny tries to explain, he's not a hooligan. We're trying to start a shoe company. <laughs> <laughs> not a hoodlum. We're trying to start a shoe company. <laughs> Just do it! They go That's out to funny. save Dwayne. They hide from the cops. They get Dwayne. They're going to go back. And Sonny's like, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some food. Not exactly. Hey, he comes back with food. So he goes up the street to the store to, I guess, loot. Because, I mean, hey, when in Rome, right? They actually point that out. Yeah. I mean, that, that is actually almost exactly what happens. Yeah. Jin 
and Dwayne have it out with each other. Dwayne has his moment where he's like, man, I've been accepted to like Ivy League schools. You don't know me. And that's still right. not enough for Jin, who pulls a shotgun on him. And uh, then the door opens. Jin spins and blows his son to smithereens. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly, Sonny's the one that they have to save. But right. he's really there to save everybody. This is quickly becoming an episode that, as we discuss it, I begin to like it less. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling that too. Now, here's a couple things I definitely liked about it, though. Okay. I really did like magic in this episode a whole heck of a lot. And I, I, you know, complaining about the dialogue, complaining about the heavy-handedness, Ernie Hudson does the absolute best he can with it. And yeah. I think those scenes work exclusively because of Ernie Hudson. I would say especially the scene where he's talking about his experience in the 60s. Right. I think that scene in particular works because Ernie Hudson sells it. That scene, you're going to have to help my memory, but there was an episode earlier in season one that Addison decides to share an anecdote about her experience in the military as it related to... Oh my God, it was paging Dr. Song. Ah! <laughs> you remember, she's like, he was overwhelmed by a situation... And she decided to share an anecdote about a time that she was in the military. And, and in command to, of people, right? And in command of yes. other people and stuff. And it was like completely unrelated. Like, okay, you've got events that are transpiring right in front of you. And you're taking a moment to step away from that to tell a story and set up a whole nother scenario that you need to understand. <laughs> and then figure out how it relates to the situation. You know, like right. you don't need another character's reflection on what's going on with a whole other story. It's certainly not one that lasts as long as a scene. Yeah. And I thought about that as I was watching this and did not realize it was the same writing team. But it really did just kind of take me out of it a little bit. And that was one of the things that started making me write down all of these different threads that we had to deal with. The Park family, Miss Rojas, Dwayne. Magic's story about Detroit, Magic's alcoholism, all of these different things pick a topic and go with it. Right. I like your whack-a-mole analogy. Just, <laughs> yeah. It's like whack-a-mole. Well, I think it's different from paging Dr. Song in that what they should be doing is really apparent. And I feel like they knew they were supposed to, but couldn't bring themselves to do it somehow. <laughs> like it was there whereas in paging dr song i don't even know what this story is what are we trying to accomplish if you pull that thread and unravel it you're just going to end up with nothing it's just going to be this thread that just goes nowhere you know yeah whereas this one had something that it was trying to do and it just packed a bunch in on top of it almost pulled it off here's a question for you do you think we are going to discuss magic's alcoholism again this season no I don't either. And that's, <laughs> that's that's the issue. I feel like that's going to be a thing we talk about in one episode. And yeah. then we don't talk about it anymore. The second question I have for you is, so we've found out what Addison was up to over the three-year time jump with, like, now she's with Tom. We found out that Ian had reconciled with their ex-girlfriend, uh, Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. And now we found out what magic was up to in the three-year gap. Do you think we find out what Jen has been up to in the three-year gap? 
You mean what relationship she's built? (laughs) (laughs) Like everybody found somebody else over the last three years and hopefully Jen is not alone. Because I bet no. Yeah, I don't think they're going to. It's because they, (laughs) as much as we know about Jen, we don't know who she is because she's kind of a catch-all character. Yeah. And I feel like if they tackle anything with her, it'll feel more like one of these, uh, the Netflix originals used to have a lot of trouble with one episode out of the season being completely unrelated to all the others. Yeah. Oh, like like that that episode of Stranger Things. Stranger Things, the X-Men episode of Stranger Things. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, and Daredevil did that a lot, too. It'd be, like, going down a thread, and then, like, for one episode, we're going to do a flashback on this one character. We're we're going to tell you all about Karen Page when she lived in a trailer by a lake. (laughs) Exactly, which will not come back. So I feel like it would probably be something like that with Jen. Like, they just use an episode to tell a story about Jen that's completely unrelated. I think we should write that episode. I feel feel like... I think they should give it to us. God. You know, after we watched the pilot this season and you made the comment that you're glad that they didn't take our advice with our story, you know, we had a really good idea of what to do with Jen. That's true. Putting that, her in a wait as a true. waiting room thing. Like this they did not figure that out. Jen is they the didn't most figure it out. At this point, Jen is the most static character on the show. And and she's also just kind of floating around. She's got no anchor. She's the T-Dog of this show. You know, remember he was on the first couple seasons of Walking Dead? Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Her old T-Dog? Old reliable <laughs> T-Dog? We all know how he ended up. The writers said, uh, we got nothing for him. Uh, let's have a zombie eat him. That was always a good way to get rid of a character you were done with. So, obviously, Magic has some issues taking part in this leap because it causes him to have not just flashbacks to his own experiences with police brutality. It dredges up a lot of old feelings from both Magic's past and his love of the bottle. He has to uh, (laughs) deal with really, really wanting a drink. My favorite moment, I think, from the will he or won't he back and forth this week is when Beth shows up at the project. Right. And Magic's, Beth, I thought you were never going to show up here again. She says she's brought lunch. Well, it's definitely not about lunch. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah <laughs> he says, uh, he says, I don't recall packing a lunch. And she says, allow me to refresh your memory in your office. Okay, so two things. One, the look on Ian's face in that moment, it's like ultimate derp face. And uh, I loved it. I missed it. I'll have to go back and look. (laughs) Definitely look, because it's like there's a shot of Ian and Jen, because of course it is. The two gossip hounds of Team Quantum Leap are going to be all over this moment. But (laughs) right before Magic joins Beth for a moment of privacy, he turns to Ian and says, have Ziggy run a series of exit strategies for Ben. And I was really hoping he was going to say, have Ziggy run the odds of me scoring in the next 10 minutes and then walk away. (laughs) Because I was like, oh, sure. Yeah. Step into the office. But what Beth has actually found is an empty bottle in one of the cabinets. And Magic takes a page out of the uh, shaggy playbook and says, wasn't me. Yeah. Which, of course, it probably was. We can discern from. No, I think we determined that it wasn't because he's honest to Ben. 
that it's been 300 and some odd days. That's true. The implication is also that Al had perhaps developed a drinking problem as well after well, Sam left. Well, not necessarily developed so much as started drinking again because Al right. was an alcoholic. You, you know, that, oh, that's true, that, yeah. This is the other topic that I think has kind of permeated the internet uh, as far as Quantum Leap is concerned. I think a lot of people took this episode to mean that Al fell off the wagon and became an alcoholic again after Sam disappeared. Because um, you remember Sam took a chance on him in developing Project Quantum Leap because he found him at the bottom of the at barrel. the lowest or point in his life, yes. Yeah, yeah, and kind of picked him up and brought him in on this project. And I think that speaks to how close their friendship was and was a part of their relationship. And then this really heavily implies that he fell off the wagon and things became really bad for him after Sam disappeared, even though Sam's attempt was to make his life better. It, it's almost like Beth wasn't the missing piece. The missing piece was Sam. Right. Hmm. I saw an article, I think, on Den of Geek. Yeah. In an interview with the showrunners who said that that's not the implication here, that they were just drawing parallels. And what that says to me is that you didn't understand your source material. This is what you're saying with this episode. And if right. it's not what you meant, it means you forgot that Al was an alcoholic. Yeah, because Beth literally says she doesn't want to see this happen to magic just like it did for Al. Right. And then to say, oh, well, we don't mean that after Sam left, Al became an alcoholic and life was horrendous. Uh, but yeah, you did. Like that's and that, I don't think anybody wants that. Right. No, I mean, nobody point, wants that. Everybody right. wants to believe that Al had a good life, even though Sam was gone. Because of what Sam did for him. The idea that Al then just spiraled. <laughs> after that and spent the last 20 years of his life in misery is antithetical to what that whole ending represented you know right exactly yeah i I, I completely get you there yeah sam's entire effort was to put things right for al and that just feels like they don't understand the sandbox they're playing in here it's kind of like wrath of khan where the people that did Wrath of Khan made sure they knew what they were working with. They like watched yeah. all of the episodes. They became very clear with all of the characters and what they were going to do with it. Here it just kind of feels like, oh yeah, I remember Quantum Leap. I bet I could write that show. Like couldn't even be bothered to look at the <laughs> Wikipedia page. <laughs> right, something like that. I mean, at least um, M. Night Shyamalan looked at the Wikipedia page when he made Avatar. <laughs> At least own the decisions you've decided to make. Like, if you want it to be that Sam's last actions in the finale of his series had unintended consequences that ruined things for his partner, then lean into it and let that be your story. But don't shy away and then say, like, oh, well, that's not what we really meant. Beth, absolutely imply is even too soft a word for it (laughs) like basically blatantly says that al was negatively impact by the loss of sam and the closure of quantum leap and however good the rest of his life was that had a profound impact on him and honestly he raised a daughter that drugs her mother that's what i'm saying like we know from what janice has told us that 
the Quantum Leap project had a negative effect on her dad. You can't I mean, it's, walk that back. I'm not sure that I agree with that decision. Again, it goes back to understanding what the effort was was in the original series to end on a high, you know? Yeah. Like the whole point was now I've, I've done all this good in the world and now I can do the one thing that I should have done before, which is set things right for Al. Imagine if we got a fourth movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and... <laughs> That movie opened with the death of Sam's wife and child and the burning of the Shire. Right. That would that would feel like, why are we doing this? Exactly. Sam gets a happy ending because he's the person in the story that deserves a happy ending the most. Right. You know? <laughs> Al exactly. is the person in the Quantum Leap story that most deserves a happy ending. He's the stalwart friend who is and always the... there and is... We want to talk about the sacrifice of the engine of Quantum Leap. Al sacrificed for Quantum Leap just as much as Sam did, you know? Sure. And he was the one with the tragic backstory whose life could be changed for the better. Exactly. And it supposedly was. And now, evidently, it wasn't. In fact, it was tragically ruined. I, I hope I, he had some good days. I, we got to believe he had some well, good days. Well, again, the. He's married to Susan Deal. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now we're sitting here extrapolating from that, that it must have been terrible. But I mean, trauma isn't a one size fits all thing, though. And certainly so not. Yeah, I can appreciate that they're trying to say, well, it, he wasn't miserable. Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. But right, you but can't I say don't... that we're wrong for inferring that things weren't rosy for Al. Yeah, plus I don't take things that writers, directors, and showrunners say in interviews as canonical to the product that they've put out. I won't let an author tell me what they meant by a book because I shouldn't have to seek out this extraneous material to supplement what you've left out of your story. Right. It's in the show. It's in the movie. That's what I'm taking if you've done your job you shouldn't have to tell me what your intent was exactly and i'm gonna go with what was shown to me on the screen which is the implication that yeah he fell back into drinking after sam never came home and well he definitely did because him and magic weren't they gonna drink that one night uh they were gonna at least smoke stogies yeah uh, that's true yeah maybe it was just a cigar i don't remember the alcohol but uh, it's entirely plausible there's one other topic I definitely wanted to get into. There was something that came up in the gym. Mm, there. Yes. I think I know okay. what you're going to say. Addison does not have a lot to do this week, which is why no. she's working on the gun show in the gym. <laughs> we can infer for the whole episode. And if the showrunners want to tell us otherwise, that's fine. Canonically. <laughs> Actually, it was leg day. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Addison and Ian have a chat in there and Addison says that we're kind of letting the emotions get the better of us. We need to turn our attention back to what we should be focused on and that's getting Ben home. Putting things right that once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. I mentioned that I think last week is that's definitely what they should be focusing on there in Project Quantum Leap. And I'd like to see them work towards that. Ian's side of that conversation made me think... Oh, that, that Ian's talking about how 
this is all my fault because yeah. my future self said, I think the line was dropped a bomb that's poisoning the team's emotions and left them in a radioactive wasteland to which I wrote in parentheses, good grief, this dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Again, dialogue abounds in this episode, but you know, that is kind of how Ian talks too. So that's true. That's true. That one little moment that they had before Jen came screaming about Ziggy going haywire is, yeah, I, I mean, you have to wonder what kind of guilt Ian must feel about setting this all in motion. And I can see how they would feel that way right now in 2026. But if you were in a time travel scenario, as they are, you'd have to trust that in the future, when they decide that they need to leap to set all of this into motion, they must have known that it was worthwhile going through all of the things that they are going through right now. This is like right? prescriptive regret. It's like normally you do something and you feel bad about having done it. Ian's feeling bad about something they haven't done yet. <laughs> right? right. There was an interview with William Shatner. He said he tries not to live with regrets. Because the way he reconciles every decision he's made is that in the moment I made those decisions, I made the best decision I could in that moment. Or I made the decision I wanted to make in that moment. If it ended up being the wrong decision, that's just something you got to live with. But regret doesn't really matter that much because you can't change those decisions. And you just sort of have to trust yourself. I did what I could when I was there, right? And I think yeah. we're taking that same kind of idea and prescribing it outward to the future with future Ian here, where it's like, wouldn't you need to trust yourself enough to know that somewhere down the road you made the informed decision that you had to make? Yeah. I agree that it's an interesting idea to have to deal with something that you haven't done yet and the ramifications of that. Right. Because you don't have all the information and it's got to be really frustrating. And you've got to feel really bad about how clearly things have gone horrible for everyone, and Ben is trapped in time. Right. But Ian will ultimately make the decision, knowing full well that these are the outcomes, because ultimately it was the thing that they had to do. Right? Right. I mean, it's easy for us to say. Or, <laughs> actually, I guess maybe that's not true. The Ian that made that decision was the one who lost all of those people that were killed by Martinez. Right. That Ian doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> right? Right. And that Ian made that decision because friends were killed and couldn't have known that this was the result. So what you're saying is that Ian's conscience is clear. No, I don't know what I'm saying. No, I it's mean, this apply, is... Apply shaggy logic to that one. What, I mean? I... <laughs> you know, it's taken us 34 episodes here, but we're finally in an actual time travel quandary conversation. Yes. Because the Ian that leaps is not this Ian. Right. Yeah. It's an Ian that dealt with something different and couldn't have known that this was going to be the outcome. So the Ian that we see on the regular now is dealing with the outcome from actions of another self, basically. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of cool. 
That is pretty cool. Is this the better future? The engine runs on sacrifice, man. Addis, from last week, you know, it's it's hard when you're the one who's left to deal with this stuff. Well, largely we're dealing with a scenario that should have been prevented from the very beginning anyway, because none of it needed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but if this is going to happen to any character on the show, paradoxical, time travel, predestined guilt thing going on, Ian's the character for it to happen to, 100%. Yeah, for sure. Ian's the Doc Brown-esque character of this show. The crazy one. Right, right. Do we think we'll see magic in the imaging chamber again? Not anytime soon. No. I don't predict it's going to be next week's episode for sure. I think we might. Well, next week, Jen is the hologram. Oh, really? I saw a promo, and yeah, she's the the hologram. I mean, it's... I find that we interesting. Knew that's what was going to happen, right? Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, Addison. We're going to cycle. Can't through. do it anymore, and we'll cycle through each of them, and none of them will be effective. And... Well, we've already gotten that answer with Magic. Already, and we already magic got that with Ian. Together. Boy, did we get it with it! They laid it on thick with Ian. Yeah, like how inept they are. Yeah, I thought Magic was a pretty competent hologram. I liked Magic as the hologram. I felt like it... he's got to get some stuff worked out a little bit. The one scene I really did like was when he's talking about all the stuff they need to do to fortify the location, lock down the weak spots, you know, all of that stuff. Right. He's drawing from his military background to bunker down in this shoe store. I thought that was a great moment for him. Yeah, and then when he paralyzes and flees. That was that was not great. <laughs> no. We can all it agree. Wasn't good, it wasn't good for the character That was either. a bad look, yeah. This is the team leader. The team leader who was a Navy SEAL and has seen far worse in his life. Yes. This guy was in Nam. Right. It felt like we need a reason for him to not work as the hologram. Yes. And that was not a good reason, in my opinion. Where do we find out why Jen's not going to work as the hologram? Well, uh, we already know why she doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, just Lawyer like, eh, just, let's uh, go to the horse track. Yeah, right. <laughs> I did like magic as the hologram, but I don't think they had the right chemistry for a long term. No, no, I would thing. agree with that. I liked their interaction. I liked that. I liked that Ben was the best answer to the problem that he was having. Yes, that was great. They had a good moment, and they work well together. But they don't have the relationship that you see in Sam and Al, or even Ben and ben Addison. Ben and Addison. I think the relationship that Ben and Addison has is good, you know? It's interesting and engaging to watch presence. them together, yeah. And I think that's what they want us uh, longing for, to get those two back together. If they hadn't made Tom so darn likable. Yeah, I know, right? When does he get to be the hologram? Ben just needs to get over himself, because <laughs> Tom is really the right person for Addison. We talked about it real, real briefly, but the environment of the Rodney King riots is really sparse. We don't see very much. Yeah, they're not pulling it off. I really feel like they needed to stay in that shoe store. They didn't use any like actual stock footage of the scenario. And every time they were out there, it was like empty street Two people in the background in a burning car. Like, it's very clearly like a soundstage. <laughs> like, yeah, there's nobody there. I mean, it's this is a riot playing a track of riot noise, but there's nobody <laughs> around. In the resolution of the episode, 
Jen stands up for Dwayne. And these four policemen are about to gun him down. And the Korean man jumps in front of them and talks them down and tells them, do their job. And they have a... (laughs) Come on, let's get out of here, guys. Wow. You know, I see that he's had a change of heart. (laughs) but He really just wants him to drive the ambulance. Now get in there and boost that ambulance. It just wouldn't work there's no real life scenario where that actually occurs and okay for tv drama let's we can maybe go down that road do it that way if you want four extras with their cop uniforms and their guns drawn probably the same cops from the scene earlier (laughs) yeah probably and the background is just kind of black yeah they don't show anything else going on they're just kind of in this singular alley and everything in the background is black including their police cars yeah that they supposedly got out of and they're all just kind of standing in shadow and then you hear the radio call them back to other more important things than shooting a young african-american teen every opportunity that they have to immerse you in the environment of a riot it's very absent look i have noticeably absent i have a theory about this because it did not go unnoticed to me. This is the second consecutive week where an leap's taken place in Los Angeles. Last week, we actually got out and walked around in places that looked real. <laughs> <laughs> this week, not so much. But the eighth episode of the season is going to be the one that takes place in Egypt. And I really think they blew the budget on that Egypt episode. Probably, yeah. Uh, I can definitely see that. I don't know that they should have attempted such a lofty story being immersed in the riot, but not being able to depict it is a problem. But you're right. It's almost better if you just stay in the shoe store. Do your bottle episode. Right. And the chaos is mostly noise happening around you. Final episode is just everyone stuck in the imaging chamber without the things turned on. It's just, <laughs> just, a, a, just a black room and they're all kind of stuck and, oh, the doors are locked. They're really counting their blessings that that actor's strike is still going on because we have no money left in the coffers for the back end of this season. <laughs> Moving forward, yeah, you've got the Egypt episode. That's episode eight, as far as we know, mid-season finale. And okay. that is happening the first week of December. So we've got Two episodes, one next week, one the week after. Nothing over the Thanksgiving break, of course. And then we come back with that eighth episode, and I think that's all we've got right now. Which would, I assume, mean that the witch trial episode is probably the one right before that, assuming that they finished it. And then Mm -hmm. we've got next week's episode. Actually, does look fun. It looks really good. It looks like 1940s noir kind of thing we're going for here. A man approaches him in a dark, seedy alleyway, bleeding profusely. Yeah. And collapses and says, Henry, it's real. You have to find it before they get it and dies. Oh, boy. This looks good. And I don't think this is a misdirect. Cut. Great job. (laughs) Let's try it again. If I were a betting man here. Are you a betting man? Not really. <laughs> this would be. <laughs> you seem so disappointed by that. I think this will no. be an episode. I think this will be an episode that Hannah Carson shows back up in. Given the era, I think this is going to be like 1940s, 1950s. Yeah, yeah. She's in it. All right. And Jen is the hologram. Jim and the hologram. Jen, truly outrageous, that Jen. <laughs> 
anything more for this episode? Where would you rank this in our season standings? Where do you think this would fall for you? It's not as bad as Ben and Teller. I, I don't think so either. I think it's right above that one, maybe. Yeah. Last week's episode was very comfortably third place. This one falls a little bit closer to Ben and Teller, probably. Yeah. It's fourth place. I think it's got some merits. The intent of this episode is good. The execution and especially the dialogue. Ugh. I'm glad that you picked up on that too. It just didn't... It's like you looked in a glossary of clichés. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey Siri, write a scene about a recovering alcoholic for me. A couple of weeks ago, I guess, I came to the realization that we can't determine that an episode's going to be bad based solely on who the writer is because so many things go into it. And yet. <laughs> and yet, Derek Hughes and Benjamin Robb, One Night in Koreatown, Salvation or Bust, and Paging Dr. Song. Which gets a shout out. Oh, that's right. Uh, I spent some time in a hospital once. I do like those oh. little shout outs. Uh, those shout outs to pass leaps. That one last week is going to be hard to top. Yeah, I helped two bounty hunters get back together. <laughs> I'll give it credit for his instinctual speaking of ah, Korean. Funniest moment now, in the episode. Yeah, that was great. And he was like angry about it too. Yeah, and of yeah. course you would be, I feel like, if suddenly your son was hiding the fact that he knew your native tongue and never spoke to you in it. <laughs> that was a great unexpected moment that played against stereotypes. I liked that. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good too. And we'll good end moment. on a high note. Well, folks, thanks for listening. As always, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop the Monday after Quantum Leap. Be sure to review the show wherever you're listening. Tell your Quantum Leap-loving friends about it. We're also available on YouTube in a audio format, so you cannot see me. and You, <laughs> you have to go to my Instagram to see me. Don't do that either. Uh, <laughs> you can also like, comment, and subscribe there on the YouTube if you'd like to uh, communicate with us, you can email us at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. Share out your rates for wedding DJ services? Just email me, you know. I can perform the uh, ceremony as well if you need that. Oh, no kidding. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's a, in some All-purpose state, package. Let me stress. <laughs> in some states, I can do that. <laughs> Look for us on social media, you know. Maybe you'll find us. I'm a C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N on Blue Sky. Brian.lee.martin on Instagram. I'm still waiting to be invited to Blue Sky. And if I get an and invitation, you'll be like at least in the top 10. The top 10? I don't know that 10. many people. I don't talk to that many people, Nate. No, I'll get you an invitation if I ever get one. I wonder what it takes. <laughs> I don't know what it takes to get an invitation to Blue Sky. If you're Blue Sky, make it easier for people to start using your platform. Invitations imply exclusivity. And exclusivity creates demand and that's creates definitely interest. how facebook started yeah yeah, yeah. i mean like yeah. you had to you had to be enrolled in a college like you would go to college just to get on facebook yeah look at all the debt yeah. people racked up just because they wanted to be friends with a young natalie portman <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> yeah all right so that's it uh folks <laughs> until next time i'm brian and i'm nate and we'll be here in the waiting room
really feel like I felt better about that episode before we started me talking too. about it. Oh, absolutely, me too. It really isn't very good, is it? <laughs> for me, the episode was still fourth, but it was pretty much on the heels of last week's episode. Like, I felt like they were about the same. Yeah. And when we start digging in, the center cannot hold, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, uh, and, I was and like, it made me appreciate last week's episode a little more. I think if the dialogue had been better in this episode, I probably never would have noticed. Maybe. That's where it started to fall apart for me. I was like, gosh, jeez, who wrote this, yeah. ChatGPT? <laughs> it's just being pulled in so many directions that I, like, that's where the thread started to fall apart for me. Once I realized that it's like, I think it was Magic's story about Detroit. It really did remind me of that other instance where I was like, why are we telling a story? Like, I understand that it's related to his feelings about the leap, but it's a whole other story. Like, I don't need a whole other story as an example. Also, can't any of you just go to therapy? (laughs) Isn't this not the best time to be talking this out? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I mean I guess it ended on a good note with him going back to AA but they but it's so anecdotal like you know like you know they're not going to talk about it again right and it's just going to be this anecdote for this episode like we fixed it yeah don't forget he's an alcoholic you know like they might just kind of throw it out there at some point but yeah it's not going to be dealt with in any substantive uh fashion and there's, and he's right. certainly not going to to fall off the wagon. This is yeah. not that show. The Wire was this show. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brother. <laughs>